I would like to invite your attention again to John's Gospel, chapter 17. John's Gospel, chapter 17. We looked at this passage somewhat last week, and just want to return there again and kind of linger as, as we think about the cross, Jesus going to the cross and the sacrifice that he made there, and the connection to holiness. We are a holiness church, and hopefully that is more than name only. Amen? Amen. More than name only, but that there is a reality to that. Jesus said in this passage of Scripture, John chapter 17, well, let's just, we've got time. I think I'm just going to begin at the beginning and, uh, and read through. Uh, so beginning with verse 1, uh, follow along with me. And, and really, as we think about this, what, a, what an amazing privilege it is to hear our Lord pray and to get insight into his heart. What was his desire? What was in his mind just before going to the cross? This was his prayer. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were. And you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours." All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them. And not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world." 
I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Excuse me, but, but just to get the point across, verse 17, holify them in your name, in the truth. Or sanctify, that's, that, that's what that word means, sanctify them, make them holy in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent them into the world, so I have sent them into the world, and for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be holified, made holy, or sanctified in truth, that is in reality. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Let's bow our hearts for prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege of letting us see into the heart of your Son by listening to his prayer. Father, would you help us to see that if this is important enough for Jesus to pray about, it's important enough for us to pay attention to and to do our part in bringing this prayer to fulfillment in our lives. We ask you to help us to walk in the light. Lord, would you touch and bless those who may be more sensitive among us. Uh, Lord, that we would not cause anyone to be discouraged or disheartened, but that we would hold on, everyone, to the measure of faith we have received and that we would also strive for more of you, uh, for a closer walk with you, and we'll thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have heard this mentioned before, but this is the real Lord's Prayer. What we often refer to as the Lord's Prayer is actually the disciples' prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. This is the Lord's Prayer in John chapter 17, sometimes referred to as the high priestly prayer of Jesus. And it is Jesus on the occasion just before he goes to the cross and he prays uh, a, a beautiful prayer. And among the requests that he is making of his Father, he is making a request for holiness in the hearts and lives of those who follow him. A number of reasons why Jesus prayed in this way for his disciples. For one, Jesus knew their need. 
Jesus knew their need, the need of his disciples, those who followed him. Yes, these were men and and probably women who had believed in and followed Jesus. Some of them had been disciples of John the Baptist and heard him preach a message of repentance of sin and baptism uh, uh, and been baptized in the Jordan. And when they heard John say, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world, they left following John the Baptist and began to follow Jesus. And John the Baptist, in a wonderful demonstration of what heart holiness is all about, made this statement about those who were leaving him and going to follow Jesus. John said, he must increase, but I must decrease. The disciples had all believed in and followed Jesus. We look at verses 6 through 8 of the prayer that Jesus prayed, and he says, I, I manifested your name, or I revealed your name to the people that you gave me out of the world, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words. They have received them and have come to know in truth. That means in reality. They have come to know in reality that I came from you. In other words, these were people who really believed in Jesus. We would say perhaps that they had had a conversion experience. They were Christians. They were followers of Christ. Yet in spite of having left their homes and their families to come and follow Jesus, their lives demonstrated a lack that needed to be fulfilled. Jesus saw their lives and knew their need. Their lives demonstrated that lack. We could look throughout the gospel records and find numbers of occasions where the lives of the disciples demonstrated that though they were following Jesus, there was something missing from their life. Their lives, for one, demonstrated a powerlessness on certain occasions. Yes, there were those times when Jesus commissioned them to go out and and they seemed to have miraculous powers, yet there were other times, you recall, right after the experience on the Mount of Transfiguration that uh, Peter, James, and John came back down uh, the mountain with Jesus and found the other disciples with a man who'd brought his son there to be, to be healed, to be delivered of demons, and they found that they were powerless to do anything about the young boy's need. They were easily discouraged in their powerlessness. They did not understand Uh, their need. They did not realize. They were people who were revenge seekers. That's not a uh, a good representation of the character of Christ, is it? Yet it was in his disciples, in his followers. You remember the time when they were seeking to go through, to pass through a village of Samaria, I believe it was, and, and they forbade them to go through. And one of the disciples said to Jesus, and I can just hear it in the back of his mind, you know, we've got power available to us. We've got power on our hands. Lord, should we just call down fire from heaven and destroy them all? 
They were revenge seekers. They were seeking positions. Those two that had their mother come to the Lord and say, Lord, I would like you to grant me a favor. When you come into your kingdom, my two boys, would you let them, one, sit on your right hand and one on your left? We read in another of the gospel accounts how just prior to entering into the upper room where they were to partake of the Lord's Supper together, they were arguing amongst themselves over who was to be the greatest in God's kingdom. And then how ironic, well I suppose not ironic at all, I think Jesus knew exactly what he was doing, that in that, in that setting of place seeking, position seeking, seeking a place of honor, that these men with their Lord come into the upper room and, and there's no servant and very conspicuously there is the basin of water to be used for washing feet. And typically in that era when there was no servant, the, the, the person who was kind of the, the lowest in the social setting, they would be the one who was responsible to, to take the basin and wash the feet of the others. And that was uh, typically the job of the slave, but when there was no slave to do it, somebody had to do it. Well, what do you do when you've just been arguing about who's going to be the greatest in your group? I'm going to be the greatest. No, I'm going to be the greatest. I'm going to be on the right hand. I'm going to be in the place of honor. What do you do when that's been your conversation and then you come in to your, your meal and somebody needs to take on this responsibility of, of humbling themselves to wash feet? Of course nobody wants to do it. And so Jesus sets the example and girds himself as a slave would and begins washing the feet of the disciples. Yes, these were men who had experienced God's forgiveness and I believe a right relationship with Jesus for the most part, perhaps with the exception of Judas. But in spite of this, they had a heart need. There was something lacking. There was something uh, something missing that they needed to, to enable them to be everything, do everything that Jesus wanted them to be. You see, Scripture says from the heart flows all of the issues of life, and these men could live no better than what was in their heart. And neither can I, and neither can you. We can live no better than what is in our hearts. Jesus knew their need. Jesus knew how the church would succeed in the future. The men who were his followers, they were the men who were destined to be the future leaders of the church, of the Christian church. In some respects, we, we look at uh, the second book written by Luke, Dr. Luke. And it is called the Acts of the, of the Apostles. It could be more appropriately called the Acts of the Holy Spirit working through the Apostles. But someone else has suggested we could call it the story of Jesus part two. 
And I believe that's the truth because it is the continuing story of Jesus as He works out His agenda in the world by the power of the Holy Spirit through His followers, through His disciples. And Jesus knew how that was going to succeed. Preservation would be required. Preservation. Jesus prayed in John chapter 17. I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I've guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one, that you preserve them. How is it that we are able to walk through this life, live in this world, and walk and live the way Jesus would have us to? A holy life, a sanctified life. God is able to preserve His people, and it is supplied, it is provided to us through this experience of heart holiness. Jesus knew not only there would be a need for preservation for the church to succeed, but a need for unification. He prayed for their unity. He said in verse 21 that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. If there's one area that the, that the church has tragically failed in probably more than any other, it's in this area of, of presenting to the world a picture of unity, that we are united. Unification, also glorification, glorification. I'm not talking about final glorification, not final glorification, but the, the, the answer to the prayer that Jesus prayed in verse 22. He says, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. There is something about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the cleansing power and purity of the Holy Spirit that brings unity and also glory to the church in the eyes of the world. <clears throat> you remember the story, I don't know whether it was Thomas Aquinas or who it was, one of those, one of those men that heard uh, someone, someone was talking about all of the, the wealth and the riches of the church, and, and they quoted the statement of Peter when he said, the, uh, silver and gold have I none, and he said, the, the, uh, the church certainly doesn't need to say that anymore. We don't need to say silver and gold have I none. We've got plenty of silver and gold. But the response was, yes, but neither can the church say anymore, in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. A lack of power 
And any time there is a lack of the presence of the purity and the presence of the power of the Holy Spirit, there will be a lack of power and a lack of glory. And this comes through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. Jesus knew how the church would succeed, and He knew if the church was going to go forward, if the church was going to succeed, it would be necessary for them to experience something more than just having lived and walked with Him for three years. What a wonderful thing that must have been to have lived and walked with Jesus and heard His words and heard Him speak, yet He said to them, it is good for you that I go away, because if I go away, then I will send the Comforter to you, the Holy Spirit. You see, without this, the church would have been divided and powerless and, I believe, meaningless in this age and probably would not be in existence today if it had not been for the blessed outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Jesus knew what the church would need to succeed. Jesus knew that provision was about to be made. He knew that provision was about to be made and so He prayed. He prayed, they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Jesus prayed because he knew that the the prayer request he had was about to be fulfilled in himself. You see, the prayer of Jesus was not a hopeless prayer. It was not an empty, meaningless prayer, as some would have us to believe. You know, as far as I know, all uh, Christian denominations believe that there is a need for holiness in the heart and life of the believer, that holiness is a requirement in order for us to be in right relationship with God and to go to heaven. The difference is simply in how that is fulfilled in our lives. And there are some that believe that this doesn't ever even happen in this life, that we're not ever made holy in this life, uh, but the best that we can hope for is perhaps a life of suppression, of, of keeping the, uh, the sinful nature under control as best we can, and we struggle along as best we can until we find some time between the moment that we die and the moment that we go to heaven, we will be made holy somehow. But I'm afraid if we wait that long, we've waited too long. I don't believe that Jesus would ever pray for anything that would be a futile or empty or meaningless prayer. I believe He prayed and He always prayed according to the will of the Father. And what he prayed, he knew he was about to pay the price for the provision to answer his prayer. The answer was intended also to be seen by the world. If Christians aren't made holy in this life, then how is the world ever to see it? 
But Jesus prayed that Christians would be made holy, and he said that it would be so that the world would see, verse 23, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. And this is one of the ways that the world would know about Jesus, that he is real. And that provision was to be fulfilled in himself, in Jesus Christ, as he went to the cross. You see, the shed blood of Jesus was more than just an atoning sacrifice. As, as uh, Larry Smith, he, you may have read the, the God's Revivalist, he was a longtime uh, editor of the God's Revivalist, wonderful, godly man, a wonderful holiness preacher. He would, uh, I was privileged to sit in some of his classes, and he would tell us, uh, preacher boys, as he taught church history, uh, he would tell us, God can do more with sin than just forgive it. But God can cleanse our hearts of the nature of sin. Jesus prayed for holiness because in his followers because he knew that provision was about to be made. He also prayed for holiness in his followers finally because he knew the future. He knew the future. In verse 20, Jesus said, "Neither do I pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word." That includes me, and that includes you. Jesus prayed for holiness in my life, in my heart, in your life, and in your heart. And friends, let me encourage you, this is not a futile or a hopeless prayer on Jesus' part. He prayed always according to the will of the Father. If he prayed according to the will of the Father, he could be assured that the Father would do the work. The Apostle Paul prayed in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and may the God of peace sanctify you through and through and preserve you soul and body blameless. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. The sanctifying work of God, the power of God to sanctify believers was accomplished by Jesus on the cross, and it is still a wonderful, glorious possibility for us today. There's more that I could say, but uh, let, me, let me just pause by saying, or, or conclude by saying I don't want to discourage or dishearten anyone. I know sometimes it's easy to look at yourself and wonder, was that a carnal trait? Was that a, an evidence of carnality in my life? Let me encourage you to pray to the God who knows you better than yourself that the work Jesus prayed for would be accomplished in your own life. And then trust Him that it is His will and that He will do it according to His will. Amen. Let's stand together, please.